Hello, and welcome to the Crossroads Podcast, the show where Mark Meckler and Rita Peters discuss hot-button issues from a biblical perspective, helping to equip other Christians to bring light to a darkened culture. Rita is the Senior Vice President of Legislative Affairs, and Mark serves as the CEO and co-founder for Convention of States Action. Find out more by visiting conventionofstates.com slash pod. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. I'm your host, Rita Peters, here with my co-host, Mark Meckler. And today we have former U.S. Senator Rick Santorum with us to talk about a recent event hosted by the organization that the three of us work for, Convention of States Foundation. Rick, welcome back to Crossroads. Thank you both for for allowing me on this uh, incredibly insightful and popular program. Yeah, Mark, I'm not sure how we've only, I think we've only had Rick on one other time. We're going to have to um, fix that and have him on more. You have to make it a regular thing. Although I have to say we have him on the road so much right now. It's kind of like, where's Waldo? You can never tell where Rick's going to be. So I think we're working him pretty hard. So we got to work it in. Yeah, that's that's kind of true for you too these days, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I think you're on the road more than I am, Mark. But uh, uh, I appreciate the shout out. I, I, it's a I, close competition. I love getting out there, and it's been exciting. Yeah, it's it's exciting. Well, the event we're going to discuss on the program today was a simulated Article 5 convention to propose constitutional amendments. And we did this in Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia, back in August. We had over 100 state legislators, attorneys, professors, policy analysts, and other opinion leaders from 49 states attend and participate this event to do a dry run of the process of a convention for proposing constitutional amendments. And for this, we used the application or resolution that has now been passed in 19 state legislatures, takes 34 states to trigger the actual convention. And this application that has been passed now in 19 states calls for amendments on three topics, imposing fiscal restraints on the federal government, limiting the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and setting term limits for federal officials. So that's what defined the scope of the simulated convention as well. And Mark, I want to start out with you since you are the president of Convention of States Foundation, which hosted the event. Why did you think it was important for us to do this simulation? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. We did one back in 2016. Uh, It ran perfectly. People were really thrilled with it. And one of the things that came out of that convention, the 2016 simulated convention, was real champions for Convention of States. When legislators come together, they get a chance to sit together, to debate together, to understand how the process works, they become champions for the process and champions for calling a convention of states. So I think one big reason was to renew those champions in our state legislatures. People don't realize how fast state legislatures turn over. Uh, it's really, it's a lot faster than we see in Congress. It, people talk about term limits and, and I know we're going to talk about that, but really the biggest term limit is state legislatures just turn over. So I would say probably since 2016, 
at least 50% of those who are in state legislatures all across the country are now out of those legislatures. So getting people together, showing them how the process worked and allowing them to go back to their state legislatures and champion the process and champion convention of states was a really important reason for doing this. Yeah. And, you know, this this process for an interstate convention of which an Article 5 convention is one type, interstate conventions at one point in American history were used pretty regularly. So people were kind of used to it. It was a known thing. Um, but people today don't really know what is an interstate convention. How does it work? Right. So it was important for us to give modern day Americans kind of a glimpse into what the process looks like, right? Yeah, it was. And and that's also just to familiarize the legislators with it. But we live streamed a whole bunch of this. You can see this at conventionofstates.com. And you get a feel for what an actual interstate convention or Article 5 convention of states would look like. Of course, this was simulated. It ran in a very short period compared to what an actual convention would be. But it does give you a pretty solid feel for how something like this would operate. Yeah. So if you're listening to the program today and you want to learn more about this simulation or see video from it, go to conventionofstates.com forward slash simulation and you can get much more information. Now, Rick, you joined our movement last year. Is that was it just last year? Is that right? Two years ago. Two years, okay. two years ago. <laughs> well, time, time flies. flies. <laughs> yeah, time flies, right? You have really infused the whole organization, both the national staff and our grassroots supporters all over the country, our volunteers, with a new energy and passion for what we're doing. Would you just briefly explain for listeners who aren't familiar with Article 5, what is a convention for proposing amendments and why do you think we need one today? Well, first, thank you for the compliment. Uh, that's, that's, uh, I'm not sure it's accurate. I mean, you folks have been uh, building ever increasing and effective grassroots organization across the country and, uh, and funding it and, and you know, getting out there in the media and doing things to really, uh, really, you know, continue this building I, I you know I, I think I was I'm riding the wave as more than I'm creating the wave but uh, look it I as you as you all know I mean I was not a believer in convention states and the principal reason I wasn't uh, was because I didn't know much about it uh, I, you know, I I always say when I talk to a group particularly a group of conservatives uh, that if the first time you hear about convention of states, it's not a very well-known piece of, you know, Article 5 is not a well-known part of the Constitution. Uh, I said, if the first time you hear about an Article 5 convention of states, uh, if you're a conservative and your initial reaction isn't no, then you're not a conservative. Because, uh, you know, the, the, wait, we're going to use something in the Constitution that's never been used in two, almost 250 years, and we're going to have people, you know, uh, you know, have it, you know, amend the Constitution. I mean, that's what the, when you first hear about it, you know, you know, this is a convention to amend the Constitution. Well, first off, it's not a convention to amend the Constitution. It's an it's a convention to propose amendments to the Constitution. And so, again, if you if you hadn't taken the time to read Article Five, you don't know anything about it, and someone comes up to you and says, "Hey, we're going to have a convention to amend the Constitution." No, we're not going to do that now. Not, not in the mess that we're in right now. But the more you read about it, it's it's like anything else. And you you know, uh, 
I just read a bi- biography of George Washington, and um, you know what I found out is George Washington was an incredibly flawed man in so many ways, and uh, and and you know and and you look at him as this you know almost marble statue of greatness, and uh, yeah, he 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 was an ordinary person who did extraordinary things when called upon when his country called upon him to do it. Um, and, and that can be said with Jefferson, who was even more flawed than Washington. And you can go on down the list. I mean, the reality is none of us are saints. None of us are, uh, are, are, uh, are perfect. And, and so the fear is, wow, you know, we're, we're going to mess around with this document with people who are even more flawed than they were back in 1787. Well, first off, I'm not sure that's true. Uh, that people are more flawed today. But the beauty of, of, of Article 5 is the founders designed it, uh, you know, understanding the self-interest of people who are involved in the process. And the self-interest of the people involved in the process, the state legislatures, is uh, for the state legislatures to do things in their own best interest, in their own self-interest. Well, that's exactly what we want them to do. We want them to actually act in their own self-interest and bringing power out of Washington and putting it back to the states. In other words, people who have given the opportunity to, to, to gain power, particularly people in politics, uh, usually use that to gain power. And, and that's exactly what we want. We want the power out of Washington and back to the states. So just on a, I'm not, as you know, I haven't gotten into any of the details of how it works, but just on sort of a human level, that the founders really designed a process to take advantage of the frailness of human nature. And and, uh, and 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 realize how how these bodies would act when given the opportunity to act. And the other thing is, is if you look and, and we don't have time to do this in detail, but if you look at all of the safeguards put in place uh, for for this type of, of convention of states. And again, just to propose amendments, there are multiple safeguards put in place to make sure that this is a process that protects the, 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 the incredibly popular foundational elements of this constitution while allowing some, some, uh, some changes really on the edge. I mean, if you look at the fact that, you know, really since the founding, uh, you know, there've been 17 amendments that have passed. Every one of those 17 amendments throw out the prohibition amendments too. So 15 of the 17 are still incredibly popular. Why? Because they were incredibly popular at the time they passed. And, and that you can't pass a constitutional amendment and get it ratified by three quarters of the states without having an overwhelming consensus of the American public to do that. And, and so any fear that people have about what could happen at this convention is really just overwrought fear of people who are afraid to do what every generation that has gotten America through tough times in the past has done, which is have the courage to face your moment and take the responsibility to maintain our freedom. And that's what we're asking people to do right now. Absolutely. Now, you you both know this program is Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. So I want to ask you both this question. How does your faith inform your desire to bring about this convention for proposing amendments? And Mark, I'll go to you first. Yeah, I mean, for me, obviously, as a Christian, everything is rooted in my faith. And, and so I just think that's a, it's normally just kind of an easy question for me to answer, which is to say, well, everything is rooted in my faith. But to be more specific, the founders, the framers primarily were also men of faith. And they built this constitution, which we revere, on the basis of their faith and through their faith and understanding of human nature. 
And they understood, contrary to what I would argue that the left believes today, is that man was not perfect nor perfectible, that no government would be made up of angels, or a famous saying about that, and that we would have to have checks and balances in the system. And all of this came from their fundamental understanding of human nature, again, which was all biblically based. It came from a Judeo-Christian foundation and a Judeo-Christian worldview. So for me, that worldview stands today. Uh, men and women are inherently flawed beings. We are sinful creatures. Uh, we tend to desire power. We naturally tend to consolidate power. We tend to have uh, an egotistical view of things. Humility is very difficult and something that doesn't come naturally to human beings. So a convention of states was designed to be one of the checks and balances against human nature, against the idea that you would have a central government that would naturally, because of human nature, aspire to its own glory and greatness, would continue to build its own power, and that at some point, it would stop responding to the people and that we would be required as citizens to step up and step into the gap and push back. And so they gave us this method, again, just to come full circle, I would say, because they understood human nature as described to us in the Bible. Yeah. Rick, how about you? How does your faith inform your well, I mean, I, passion? I don't, know if I, I don't know if I can say it any better than Mark just said it. Uh, let, me, let me just take a little different tact on it and talk specifically to the people listening to this. And, um, you know, one of my one of my favorite uh, quotes in the Bible is, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected, to whom more is given, more is required. And, uh I don't know of any generation in the history of the world that is, has more than this generation of Americans. I mean, you know, poverty is only having one cell phone. I mean, this is, uh, you know, the biggest problem in America today is not uh, is not starvation, but obesity. I mean, this we are a country of material wealth beyond anything that the world could ever have imagined. Uh, and so the idea that that you sitting here listening to this are not someone who has been blessed. Uh, you know, imagine if you lived in Gaza or if you lived in Ghana uh, or Nigeria or China or, I mean, billions and billions of people across this world are, you know, are trying to get to America because of what we got. And, and, and you know, you look at that and you say, wow, don't we have some responsibility to, uh, you know, to leave this country better off than what we found it? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that's I think that's sort of essential. I mean, you know, you you always think about that with with your with your family that, you know, you have a responsibility to your family and uh, to, uh, to to raise your children and to or, or, you know, take care of relatives. And I mean, we all have that responsibility to to make sure that, you know, we leave things better than 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 uh, than what we found. And we take the gifts that God's given us to. Um, to use them in a, in a way that is pleasing to him. And so I, I sort of, uh, I look at me, I, and, and I think anybody that's, that's my age or around my age, you know, I'm in my sixties and, and I've seen over the last 40, 50 years, you know, the federal government you know, dramatically increase in size and power and, uh, and abuse. And I've seen our country, uh, descend into moral decay that uh, is unprecedented, in my opinion, in the history of our country. I mean, basically, I don't, I don't know, by any, almost any measure other than material wealth, our country is poorer and yeah. is doing worse. And uh, I can't help but think, well, you know, am I leaving the country better off than when I found it? And the answer is, in most respects, and in the, in the, in the things that matter, 
you know, not how much money you have and how much, you know, what's your, but, but the things that matter that are eternal, that are, that, that are, um, you know, talk about the things that, like I said, that are important, virtue and, and goodness and, uh, and responsibility and those, those, those important virtues that, that, that hold a society together, we're in worse shape. And so you can either sit back and say, well, you know, I tried. Uh, or you can say, you know, I don't believe in participation trophies and we have to actually do something to, uh, to fight for the next generation because your children and grandchildren are going to suffer the consequences. They're seeing it already. I mean, look at the high rates of drug use and depression and other anxiety and, and other issues that come with a society that is lost. And, and our society in many respects is lost and our, and, and part of the problem is a government that it wants to do everything and tell you everything to do and run things from from on high and so uh i sort of feel this is as part of my calling uh to uh, uh to to repent for the sins uh, that have occurred during my lifetime and what what has happened is uh under my watch and uh and try to do something to turn that around yeah well said we have a federal government today that wants to be our savior and our provider. And those are things that the government was never meant to do, and it does not do them well. So let's talk about the simulated convention and the proposed amendments that actually came out of the simulated convention, because those can give us some idea of what we might see come out of an actual convention for proposing amendments called pursuant to the resolution that we're working at passing um, in a total of 34 states. And again, we've already passed in 19 states. So I don't know if we'll get through all of the proposals. I'm just going to go through several of them that came out and I will summarize them. And then I'll ask one of you to give me your comments or thoughts on it. The first one I want to talk about is term limits. We know that term limits are extremely popular with the vast majority of the American people. We're tired of career politicians living in Washington, D.C. for so long. Uh, so the first proposal is a term limits proposal that limits House members to nine terms Senate members to three terms, but says no more than 24 years in total. So Rick, as the one here who's actually been in Congress, what did you think about this proposal? Uh, it's interesting because I've, I've been out and I've shared this as I've traveled the country and talked to folks. And, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, who are grassroots, uh, are grassroots supporters who say, oh, that's that's way too long. I mean, that's, you know, it doesn't really, you know, uh, do things. And yet and then I'll talk to some legislators who are trying to get their support for the resolution and say, ah, there shouldn't be any term limits at all. Uh, and that and that's not, you know, let let the people decide and term limits haven't worked anywhere they've been tried. And so, you know, to me, this was this is exactly how the process works, which is, you know, you 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 have folks on one side and the other side and and you find something that is a compromise that tries to bring as much uh, of folks on either side into the middle for a consensus position. And that's what this is. This is, is this a term limit in the sense that we're gonna turn, you know, we're gonna turn people out of Congress on a regular basis? No, that's not gonna happen uh, because you can stay there in one body for 18 years. Uh, is this, a, is this a, a proposal that's going to 
uh, abandoned, as someone uh, who are against term limits, abandoned the congressional authority to the bureaucracy uh, because Congress is, is going to be turned over. There's no experience. There's no, there's no power left there because nobody, nobody has, nobody's there long enough to really, really uh, exert itself. Uh, and there, therefore, the, the staff in the Congress, as well as the bureaucracy in the, in the executive branch, are really going to run everything. No, because they're going to be there for a long enough period of time to be able to, to you know, understand the system and, and put controls on the bureaucracy. So to me, this is a nice balancing. Uh, and uh, I thought was is something that, again, this is the final point is, could it pass? Uh, I think a very short term limit could never pass in 38 states. Uh, and, and so this is something that I think, again, the wisdom of the folks coming together in a group, uh, found a consensus that, that, that is, that moves the ball forward and has a chance of passing. Yeah. And Rita, if I could, I, I, could yeah. I address that briefly? Cause I yes. get, I get a lot of blowback on this one. Like Rick said, I've heard from a lot of grassroots. I've actually had people throw up their hands. Down. If, if this is the best you can do, then I'm not interested in convention of dates anymore. And what I'm trying to explain to people, first of all, is to understand, as Rick said, it's a compromise and it's going to anything that comes out of a convention of states is going to be a compromise. I don't consider compromise to be an, an ugly word. That's the nature of a legislative government. <laughs> if we don't have a monarch, then we have compromise. And so that's what you're going to get. Uh, but I would also say that people should be patient and understand that this is what came out of a two day convention. Right. We wouldn't even have the convention officers elected and rules in place in two days. Right. And so the, the debate over it was hot and heavy. And I would expect that debate on this particular subject to go on for months, actually. And this is a place where people need to remember they're actually going to have input in a real convention. You may not be a delegate. You may not be a commissioner, but you're going to have influence on your state legislature, which controls its commissioners. And if you see something like this being debated and you think, well, that's way too long, that's outrageous and ridiculous, you're going to call your state legislature. There's going to be likely in your legislature a committee dedicated to communicating with the delegation as they are in convention. You're going to be contacting them saying, I can't believe that our commissioner is proposing 18 years and that's outrageous. And the people of Pennsylvania or Virginia, we won't support that. And and so I think what people forget is this is a deliberative process that will take months to go through. If they're doing it right, if they're doing what Rick and I and you are talking about, they'll be actually participating, they meaning your listeners. And so whatever we get out of a convention in two days, and there's stuff we didn't get because they just couldn't do it in two days. So remember that this is a trial run. It is not intended to demonstrate results. In other words, exact amendments and intended to demonstrate and prove the process. Right. And remember, too, that this was a trial run of the proposal process. So anything that comes out of the convention then has to be ratified by three fourths of the states. That's 38 states in order to actually be added to the Constitution. Mark, I want to start with you on the next proposal it limited the Supreme Court to nine judges. We, we've seen, you know, various court packing um, ideas and proposals in recent years. So this would limit the Supreme Court to nine judges. And the other thing it did, which is really interesting, is give states standing to challenge the constitutionality of any action of the executive branch or any enactment of Congress 
in court. So it actually gives states the ability to go to court and say, no, this action is unconstitutional. What did you think of this proposal? Um, from a structural perspective, I didn't like it in the sense that I would have preferred that those be two separate amendments. They seemed somewhat unrelated to me, mm -hmm. uh, but individually, I, I liked them. In other words, I think right now there's a push by the radical left in America to pack the Supreme Court. They've talked about it openly by packing the Supreme Court. They mean add a bunch more justices during the tenure of a left wing president so that they could stack the court to the left. And so that would just essentially be a permanent nuclear war. Every time there's a Republican president, they would pack it more and vice versa. It's just impossible. You can't govern that way. So I think a nine justice limitation would be a good place to start. The second one I think is really important, and I want to clarify why I think that was drafted. The 10th Amendment gives the states the power uh, under our Constitution, the states and the people over everything that is not explicitly given to the federal government. This is a broad power the states were supposed to have. And unfortunately, jurisdictionally, this has been severely limited by the federal courts and the Supreme Court. What they've said, essentially, I'm just going to simplify this, not in legal terms. They've said, oh, I'm sorry, states, we know that's in the Constitution, but you don't have the right to sue about this a doctrine right. called standing. I, I've read the standing cases. I'm going to be honest with you as a lawyer, as somebody I'm somewhat of a constitutional lawyer blows my mind. Like I don't understand where they get this doctrine that the states can't sue under an amendment, under the authority of amendment that was specifically intended to give them the power to sue the federal government. So what this would say to the states is you absolutely have power to sue under the 10th Amendment when you believe the federal government has overstepped its bounds. It doesn't mean the states win those suits. It means they have the right to sue. And I think that minimum bar, I think that should have been included in the 10th Amendment. They just didn't know that the courts were going to limit the states in this way. Mm-hmm. Okay, the next one I want to talk about, it, this is a big one. Most of the American people also agree that this is desperately needed today, and it's a federal balanced budget amendment requiring the federal government to balance the budget. And I'm not going to go through all the details. We don't really have that. We're already running out of time. Um, but Rick, I'd like for you to just comment, you know, if you want to talk about the specific proposal, that's fine, but maybe just generally talk about what you think about a balanced budget amendment. Is it important? Do we need it? I think it's absolutely vital. Uh, we're looking at th over $33 trillion in debt right now. And, um, you know, they're going to add another $2 billion, it looks like, next year. And, and who knows after that. Uh, eventually, the dam's going to burst and the impact uh, on this country will be severe uh, economically. I mean, this this will be this will wreak havoc, and uh, it, you know, you you have to have something to put the brakes on. And you know, the the big challenge that these folks are going to have is you know how tough, how tight, uh, what what are the parameters to make sure, and uh, as opposed to something that's just very simple that gives a lot of flexibility. Uh, and again, there. The beauty of this whole thing is that uh, this is going to be debated out in a public forum. Uh, you're going to have uh, a tremendous amount of input from from everybody, from uh, from uh, voices across the country, people across the country, from Congress, 
Uh, don't think they're not going to try to, you know, uh, Congress and the senators are going to be calling these guys saying, no, you can't do this to us. Uh, so there's going to be, uh, and, and all of this, the beauty of this is it'll be all out in the public. All these sessions will be open. The, the sessions will, you know, the debates will be heard. Uh, and we'll have a debate in our country about the balanced budget amendment, about, you know, the limits of federal power, about, uh, about term limits. All of these things is, is really the exciting part of all of this is, uh, that the public is going to get engaged in uh, balancing the power between Washington and the people again uh, at a time when Washington basically has all the power. And uh, that's a, that's an exciting discussion. And, and I think this will be a very big part of it. Uh, I, I, my guess is uh, that whatever, uh, if, if they want to pass a balanced budget, it's got to be something that is, Tough, but not too tough, because you got to get 38 states. So I, I, I come back to the term limits thing, and I come back to all the other things that we're, we're going to debate here. Everyone talks about, oh, it could be, you know, you could, you can pass all these things to really change Washington, or it's going to be a runaway convention. They're going to pass all these things to, to, you know, dramatically change the Constitution and ruin our rights. Well, none of these, either, neither extreme is going to happen because you got to get 38 states to ratify these things. And, and it's, it's just really hard to do. And so, uh, I always tell people when they come into this uh, discussion, temper your, uh, enthusiasm for what can be done and understand the process itself is a win in, in controlling what Washington is doing because you've now asserted another player on the field, the state legislatures, who are now uh, have reasserted themselves at the top of the food chain, which is where the founders wanted them uh, to uh, to put some controls on the federal government. That's right. Well, unfortunately, we are about out of time. So I'll just remind you, go to conventionofstates.com forward slash simulation if you want to see all the proposals. We didn't get to all of them. Um, and Mark, I'm just going to let you have the last word here in, you know, 20 seconds. What do you hope the American people learned from the simulation? I think the biggest thing is that it's possible and that they have the power. And the bottom line is the framers gave us the power to rein in the federal government. All of your listeners, I guarantee it, all of them are upset by the overreach of the federal government. Most of them feel hopeless, like there's nothing we can do. But the framers said a day would come when the people would have to rise up and rise up in a peaceful way. That's what the framers gave us, a way to rise up and restrain the federal government. We can do it, but we can only do it if you do what Rick said. We each have to take responsibility. Folks can do that by going to conventionofstates.com and signing up to be involved. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Rick, for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And I want to thank our generous sponsors at Blue Ridge Chimney Services, Blessings Christian Bookstore, Sunshine Ministries with Christian Radio, Wishing Well Florists and Travel Services, and our friends at New Beginnings Church and Garber's Church of the Brethren in Harrisonburg. Thank you all for listening and for your encouragement. If you'd like to make a donation to help keep Crossroads on the air, you can do so by check to Crossroads at P.O. Box 881, Harrisonburg, Virginia, 22803. I'm Rita Peters with Mark Meckler, inviting you to join us again next week for another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads podcast. To learn more about Convention of States, go to conventionofstates.com.